0: Thank you. Thank you for never being born. Thank you for never being born. You know, when you're receiving an award or presented with recognition of an achievement, you know, it might be customary for you to thank people who helped make it possible for you to be there. You might thank a long-suffering spouse or a long-suffering set of parents. You might thank work colleagues for picking, picking up the slack or offering you advice. You might thank those role models and mentors who inspired and coached you. You might thank the the people of the institutions that educated, financed, and supported you. But rarely do you hear someone stand up to receive an award and thank another person for never being born. And that is what made the speech that actress Williams gave at the 2002 Golden Globes Awards on January 5th so shocking. Because she thanked a person... For never being born. As she accepted her award, Williams made a passionate and emotional argument for abortion, saying, I wouldn't have been able to do this, meaning earn a Golden Globes award, without employing a woman's right to choose. To choose when to have my children and with whom. She thanked a child for never being born, so that she was free and unhindered to pursue her dreams and unencumbered in earning A trophy. She thanked abortion for her Golden Globe Award. Now, if Williams had got up there at the Golden Globes and said, I gave birth to a baby, but after a month with this baby, the baby was four weeks old, I realized she was hindering my career advancement and preventing me from achieving my dreams, so I killed her. She would have been arrested on stage. The law would label her a murderer and put her in jail. But because the baby was not yet born, many have called William's speech and actions courageous and have lauded her as a hero. And now when we face this abortion discussion, some say tone down the rhetoric. Don't be unnecessarily divisive. And if I'm guilty of using undue rhetoric during today's reflections, I invite you to please come and rebuke me later. But no, I'm trying hard to present this fairly and factually. And that being said, I also this week read an excellent article from the Gospel Coalition website titled, Most Abortion-Minded Women Aren't Calculating Killers. They're Afraid. Friends, when we talk about abortion, we need to remember, This was written by an author and a volunteer counselor at her local crisis pregnancy center. And the article reminds us that people are not the enemy. Church, people, women, are not the enemy. The author reminds us that women facing unplanned pregnancy have real and reasonable fears. She may fear the loss of financial stability as she already teeters on the brink of poverty. She may fear the loss of a job, which is her only source of income to support her and the children she already has. How will she feed them and pay the rent? She may fear an angry or even violent and abusive boyfriend, husband, or parent. Many women seeking abortions don't do so in order to find an empowering my body is my own sense of autonomy. Many of the women seeking abortions are afraid. And church, as we approach and discuss an issue like abortion, we need to remember... Women, people, are not the enemy. We open the service reading Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We do not wrestle against fearful and captive people. We struggle against the forces of evil, this present darkness. However, that evil manifests itself to enslave, to deceive, and to destroy. People are not the enemy. I purposefully chose the song that we open today's service with. Our call to war is to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor. And with the sword that makes the wounded whole, we will fight with faith and valor. People, women are not the enemy. This world is filled with captive souls. They are lied to. They are deceived. They are abused and they are fearful. And church, our call to war is to love the captive soul, but to rage against the captor, against the lies of the enemy, against the deception of the spirit of this age, against the evil that enslaves and abuses and makes afraid. As the song says, we love these captive souls. But we battle against their captors. And we do so with the sword that makes the wounded whole. And what is that sword? Later in Ephesians 6, in that same passage, we find what the songwriter was referring to. Ephesians 6, verse 17 describes the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. For the truth will set you free. The word of God liberates the captive, it emboldens the timid, it comforts the fearful. It makes the wounded whole. The truth breaks the power of the destructive lies. And this world offers. We speak the truth of God's word to love the captive soul and liberate a world deceived by destructive and damning lies of the enemy. But church, we never speak the truth of God's word in order to defeat people. We don't speak the truth of God's word just to win an argument. We don't speak the truth of God's word to assert our own superiority. We don't speak the truth of God's word to load guilt upon those who are already weighed down. We don't speak the truth of God's word to wound those who are already wounded. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood. We love the captive souls. But we rage against the captor. We speak the truth not to push back against people. We speak the truth to push back against this present darkness. We speak the truth that exposes the lies that have enslaved captive souls. We speak the truth to set captive souls free from the deceptions that destroy life. We speak truth to be burdened, that the falsehoods that burden them might be lifted. Because they've been promised joy and life only to find those very things stolen from them. Truth points out the destructive lies and the damaging deceit. Because church, is unloving. It's unloving to call poison safe. It's unloving to call harmful harmless. It's unloving to call evil good or to call darkness light. For example, last year, the number one abortion provider in America, Planned Parenthood, reported 345,672 abortions, the highest number reported since they started keeping track in the 2000-2001 year. And many women walked into Planned Parenthood and they were frightened and they're vulnerable. And they were promised peace by the violence of abortion. They were promised a solution that often creates more problems. They were offered freedom that often leaves a burden of guilt. Friends, were they told the truth? Pregnant women are told that what's growing within them is just a bunch of cells. Yet more than an organ, a tumor, or a bunch of cells in the mother, an unborn child is a genetically unique human being. Within the mother, yet distinct from her. So who's telling the truth about the unborn? And And to say that what grows within a pregnant woman is just a bunch of cells like a tumor is an insult. And it's a denial to the experience of every mother who has ever suffered the trauma and loss of a miscarriage. To say that what that woman lost was like having a tumor removed is to mock her pain and to deny her experience of miscarriage. Women know what grows within them. And losing that life is a terrible trauma that I know many here have experienced. And more than that, consider the great lengths to which medical science has gone today to develop technologies and techniques to now perform surgery on children while they're still in the womb. Friends, if it's just a bunch of cells like a tumor, why? Why the expense? Why the time? Are the unborn human or are they not? Yes, what grows within a pregnant woman is smaller than other people, but can size make someone more or less valuable? Is the unborn less valuable or less human because he or she is smaller? I mean, is, is Tina Williams less human or less valuable than me? Because she comes up to about here. I was hoping Tina was going to be here, Jack, so you have to go home and tell her that. All right, so Or rather, is it true, as that great theologian Dr. Seuss wrote in his treatise, Horton Hears a Who, a person is a person no matter how small. Does size determine our humanity or our value? What is the truth? Yes, what grows within a woman is less developed than other other humans, but can level of development make someone more or less human or more or less valuable? Is a fourth grader more valuable than a third grader? Is a middle schooler more human than a toddler? Is an adult of greater worth or humanity than the unborn? What grows within the woman is in a unique environment. Yes, in her womb. However, can the environment itself change someone's value or bestow upon them humanity? Did any of you gain humanity when you left your house this morning? Or did you lose your humanity or value when you exited your car in the parking lot? And if not, how can the journey of just a few inches from the womb through the birth canal bestow value or give humanity to a baby? In fact, These two pictures are of the same person. Let me ask you, was he less human or less valuable in one picture than he was in the other? Was he more human when he was photographed outside of the womb than when he was photographed inside of the womb? What is the unborn? Who's speaking the truth? What grows within a woman is dependent upon her for survival. But does that Make the unborn less human? Does a baby only become human or valuable when it's viable outside of the womb? And if so, what do we do about the fact that technology is making viability outside the womb earlier and earlier in gestation? Does that mean that the unborn is becoming human earlier and earlier? And becoming valuable earlier and earlier? Or consider newborn babies. I mean, anyone who's had a newborn knows they are also dependent upon you for survival yet we don't consider them less human or less valuable and what about someone who's in an accident or had surgery he or she might be on life support they might be dependent upon machines or they might be dependent upon doctors and nurses and caregivers for their survival yet no one would say the person in the hospital bed has somehow lost their humanity or their value because now they're dependent on others So size, level of development, environment, dependence. Can these things make you human or valuable or not make you human or not valuable? Because those are the only ways that the unborn differs from you or from me. And if you're human and if you're valuable, are they? Because society tells us that the unborn is not human. But what is the truth? What is the truth about the unborn? For his author Gregory Kokel summarizes nicely, if the unborn are not human, then no justification for elective abortion is necessary. But if the unborn are human, no justification for elective abortion is adequate. What are they? Who speaks the truth about the unborn? Friends, we speak and we stand for the truth that human life is sacred. At every age... And every stage, from the unborn to the elderly, and every age in between, human life is valuable and worthy of life. Friends, the unborn are not disposable, and I have to say, neither are the elderly. It is so disheartening that here in Maine we passed a Death with Dignity Act last year. We said to people, if you're sick or infirm... If you're small and weak, if you're less developed or if you're atrophying, if you're dependent, if you're a drain upon us or our resources, or if you're a restriction on our freedom, then you're disposable, so go kill yourself. And if saying to someone, go kill yourself, sounds repugnant, then shouldn't we also find repugnant the statement, thank you for never being born? Isn't it just as bad? Because life is sacred. It is sacred from the unborn to the elderly. And church, we must stand against the devil's lies that say otherwise. We must push back against the present darkness with the light of truth. We must rage against the captor that steals and kills and destroys. And as we do so, church, we must love the captive soul. Because understand this. If you hear nothing else I say today, understand this. The abortion debate will not be one with words. It will be one with love. The abortion debate will not be one with words. It will be one with love, church. Church, we will not argue people away from abortion, but we might love them away from abortion. As the song said, our battle cry is love. And when frightened, vulnerable women face an uncertain pregnancy, whose arms will be open to receive them? Planned Parenthood or the Church of Jesus Christ? Who will stand ready to listen, ready to embrace them, ready to support them, ready to offer them solutions, real solutions, life solutions? When a woman faces the fearful decision to keep her baby, will the church stand with her? Will the church fight for her? Will the church actively give to and serve in charities and ministries like CareNet? so that the mother and child might have food and shelter and medical care and child care support? Will the church actively support social policies that protect women and children and that reward, not penalize, families for staying together? Will support social policies that don't penalize fathers for being involved? Will the church mentor young families? Will we bring single mothers into our homes? Will we serve so that a mother knows we are willing to babysit? We're willing to staff nursery and serve in children's ministries. We are willing to give the weary and overwhelmed mother who is with her children 24 7 during the week the opportunity to simply come and have some adult conversations and to listen undistracted and hear the truth and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Will we do that? Will they find us with arms open, ready to receive? Because, church, we always stand in danger. Because even if we have the best arguments, even if truth is on our side, it is love that is going to win this argument, church. It is love that will stop abortion. It is love that will save unborn lives. It is love that will rescue women from lives of poverty, from violence, from guilt, and from hopelessness. It is love that will win. Church, will we love? Because love, this kind of love, is the Gospel. It's the good news. Jesus Christ came to love us that love might win. He spoke the truth about us. He told us about our sinful condition, about the lies that we had believed, the lies that we had been told. He spoke the truth about the harm that we had done to ourselves and we'd done to one another and we'd done to this world. He spoke the truth about how we were. But friends, it wasn't His truth that won us. It was His love that won us. The Apostle Paul summarizes beautifully in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Friends, when we met Christ, we met a kindness and a love that surprised us. A forgiveness when we expected and when we deserved punishment. An embrace when we expected and we deserved rejection. A love when we expected and deserved revulsion. But it was God's kindness, His love to us, through Jesus Christ, that brought us to repentance. Turning away from the deceiving ways of the world. Turning away from our selfish desires and turning to Him. It was Jesus' love demonstrated and embodied upon the cross that won us and led us to repentance. And church, it is love. It is love that will lead to repentance. It is love that will lead to a change in this culture and in hearts and in lives. It is love that will win this debate. Our call to war is to love. To love the captive soul. But yes, to speak the truth and to rage not against people, but against the captor. Church, Will we heed the battle call, the battle call? Will we be those that love with arms open wide to the fearful, to the hurting, to the vulnerable? Will we love? How will you love? Father, on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, we thank you. We thank you for this reminder that life is sacred. From before birth to the grave. That there's not a moment of our lives that you are not with us. And Lord, make us a people who stand for truth, yes, yes, but even more than that are known for love. Love that does not compromise truth. But love that loves the captive soul. That rages against the lies that the captor tells. Lord, may we be known for our love. May lives be saved. And may Jesus Christ be praised. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.